Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Scotland Rugby League podcast, brought to you by McEwen's. I'm your host, James Parsons, and just before we get into who the guests are today, um, just to announce that Sunday the 23rd of August we'll see the return of our under-17s programme. Um, for more information, please head to our website or email info at scotlandrl.com. So the guests today is marking a, a special occasion. The 13th of August will be the 25th anniversary of our first senior men's international match. To mark that, we've updated our, our men's record pages on our website with the help of Sporting Records Online Limited, who are our official data partners, and that data will be going live on the 13th. And I'm joined today by four players who played in that match, the Stena Sealink Challenge against Ireland in the, at the Royal Dublin Showgrounds in 1995. So I'm joined by Graham Thompson, Ali Blee, John Coombe Lilly and Struan Douglas. Thank you all so much for coming on today. Um, I mean, who wants to go first and tell us a bit about how, how you first sort of got involved with Scotland and actually how the first game against Ireland came about? We should let Struan go first because he's the oldest. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. Um, actually, I would be interested to know what's in the, the records of the Scotland Rugby League because there was a game from the year beforehand uh, which was a, a full amateur international against Ireland played in Belfast, which I played in. I played Scottish student rugby league previously, but uh, there was a game over there, but there seems to be very little record of it whatsoever. So I played in that previously and... As a result of that, and the Scottish student connection, I managed to get into the the team for the, the match in Ireland, which is quite an adventure. The it, I think it was the Stena Sealink Challenge was the um, the previous game the year before in in um, in Northern Ireland in Belfast, and mm-hmm. um, I think that was aptly named because I can remember more about the epic minibus trip up to um, <laughs> to then. To then get another epic ferry across and then all the way down um, to, to play the to play the game, and and might be showing my age now, but it's a similar thing now. Uh, the the Dublin game a year later, obviously was a big deal and a big game, but now I remember more about the sort of build up to it and then the sort of getting there and then the sort of the occasion than I do of the actual game. Um, and I think it's because it was it was still very early doors. And previously to that, like Stu and I'd been playing student rugby um, at you know at the Scottish level as well. And then it was progressing towards amateur. And then there was obviously talk of uh, um, you know bigger things all the time. But but yeah, there was a lot of travelling up and down motorways and going to you know far flung places and distances to sort of get to these games. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I was similar. I were I think we were all student rugby league backgrounds because yeah. Scottish students were the, the trailblazers. I mean, I think they played in the nineteen eighty nine World Cup and the nineteen ninety two, um, and certainly um, this this game was over. The background of the game was it was actually played at the Dublin Showground, and it was a curtain raiser to what was called the Charity Shield, which was Wigan versus Leeds. So the winners of the league and the winners of the cup from the year before. So we played as a curtain raiser. The best bit I remember is another gentleman by the name of Gavin Man Clark, <laughs> Curry Rugby Union, and came from Edinburgh, blonde hair, good winger. Um, he had to, Alan Tate was playing for Leeds and he got the wrong boots or something and he had to borrow Gavin Man Clark's boots. <laughs> <laughs> a professional player 
borrowing uh, one of the Scotland <laughs> students, in effect, who are playing, for, you know, as you say, the first senior internationals boots to play in the charity shield. So, um, yeah, that's one of the standouts for me. Gavin, Gavin was in Edinburgh along with what was doing. Uh, I think the three of us travelled down to Stranraer, I think, to get, yeah. the, get the ferry over to, to get over to Dublin. That was actually the ferry over to Belfast. And we drove oh, from Belfast down yeah. to Dublin. And then went from Dublin to uh, Holyhead in Wales and drove home from Wales through England to Scotland. So it was five countries in two days. <laughs> I don't remember that bit, did we? Yeah, we did. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say that um, for me, it was a bit different because I had graduated in the June or the July and... Um, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, was doing her year in Germany in uh, Bavaria, studying business down there. And so I remember badgering the management saying, am I included in this or not? And get, and getting a sort of neutral response all the time. And so in the end, I had driven her car from Parbold outside Wigan to Bavaria. And we were in Germany and we'd just driven into Switzerland to go camping when I got the email to say, yeah, you're included, but we don't know if you're, you're in the squad, but we don't know if you're in the team or not. Are, are you Hold coming? a second, email, email in 1995. Exactly. <laughs> I, I was having to go to student uh, places and caf- internet cafes to log on and get the emails. But anyway, in, in the end, I um, completely abused the trust of my parents and their credit card and, um, and booked flights from Switzerland to Dublin and flew over for four days. And we stayed in the, um, the university accommodation just outside of Dublin um, for that event. And then after it concluded, got back to, uh, back to Europe to retrieve, retrieve the stuff from, um, from Bavaria. So it's another case of, I can remember a lot more about all the, um, the shenanigans of the traveling about than I can really of, of the game, although I do remember the boots incident as well. Well, the other thing about the accommodation was I I, I don't remember driving all that far, but um, we I remember arriving at like after midnight, and we yeah. were I, we stayed at a youth hostel. Is that right? Yes, Stu? we, stayed we did. Hostel. We stayed in a youth hostel in a mixed dorm. I woke up <laughs> yes, in the morning exactly. to find some German. I, I woke up in the morning to find some German girls by my bed with their with, with their, their tops off, which was <laughs> interesting for your first international. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly. For some reason, that stands out for me as well, student, because we went to bed not realizing it was a mixed youth hostel until we yeah. quickly woke up um, in 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 the morning. Yeah, and we and we were playing that next day, so we got about half past twelve at night or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. The, the way I got got involved was a bit by happenstance. This is back in like late ninety two, early ninety three. And I'd, I'd been selected, and maybe Ali, I'm not sure if you were playing in this game. We selected for the British colleges and polys versus English unis. Oh, I can't, um, can't remember. Yeah. yeah. And um, there, was a, there was a selection game from lads that were picked there. And it was like, you know, where you were going to shape out. And lots of lads with different backgrounds and heritage. Anyway, I, I thought... Um, I didn't know very much about the Scotland Rugby League at the time, but the England team called me and dropped me. And then within about two hours, John Risman called me and he said, I heard you got some Scottish background. 
And I said, yeah, it's my, it's my folks. And he's like, do you want to come for a tryout? So this was in like March, I want to say March 93. And I played my first Scotland students game against Ireland, I think in Rochdale. It's a mi- miserable day. But then a few months later, actually, Graham, I played in your first game. I think we were playing up at Workington. And I remember trying to like follow your lines of run. And Risman took me aside and he said, this lad, he's like, he's going to be good. Just try to follow him because he's not sure what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when the good bit came, but not knowing what you're doing. <laughs> and so, yeah, so we, I think we played then that fall or the, the winter going into Christmas of, I want to say 93, 94 before the British Students Championship that they had in Wales. And then there was, like, you know, there was games around going down the years, mostly in the in the spring, it seemed. And there was different selections. And like Ali was talking about, I think 95, we were getting the amateurs sorted out. And I don't know, actually, it's interesting you brought that up. I don't know if you remember, there was uh, George Graham and Hugh Waddell were playing in that game we played at the Meadowbank, I think it was the Meadowbank Stadium. And Nick Marden was playing. I think, and we're playing against the northeast of England. And I don't know if you remember, but the, there was a, a fella came in from the Scottish Rugby Union and threatened Nick. And I think it was Andy Knight. They were playing with Borough Muir at the time with losing their amateur status if they played with Hugh and George. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, I, 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 was, I didn't play that game. I was in New Zealand on a, just on a personal tour out, you know, a student uh, here away. And my mum got a phone call from the then chief executive of the Scottish Rugby Union, um, Bill Hogg, whose son I went to school with, and I, I see most most weekends. Um, and she said, "Oh, uh, he said, oh, is is Graham? Uh, um, uh, Graham plays in that game tomorrow. He could be banned." And the whole thing was we weren't paid for that game, but because there was someone on the opposition team who wasn't being paid for that game but had played professional rugby league, yeah, then yeah, he yeah. could be banned as well. But my mum said, "Well, that's okay because he's in New Zealand, so he's not playing in it." But Unfortunately, as you know, Hugh Waddell passed away. Um, yes. End of last exactly. year. Yeah, because he, he played in the 1995 Emerging Nations World Cup. He was quite a character, he was. And had quite it a, was. He was a character. You know, one of, one of the great things about that day, um, I think for those of us that were in the changing room, because I remember that there was a mess. I can't remember who came in with the message, whether it was John or somebody else, John Risman, that is. But I remember... The, the message came into the changing room. We were sat there, and it, it was like a Chicago record. Like, none of the lads even flinched. They were like, no, we're going to play the game. Don't want, we don't care about the threats. And it was it was one of those moments where, you know, you come together as a group, and it was it was good for us, actually, that day. Um, that I think that threat made us a little stronger. I think an- another thing worth, worth talking about is the, the fact that Obviously, there's some guys here who were students in Scottish universities, but there were an awful lot of the team in the early days who were students who were playing in, um, you know, for English universities who were playing in England. And so I remember a lot of the training and and things was sometimes in Cumbria, sometimes in Edinburgh, and sometimes sometimes down in the Midlands or whatever. Um, so there was it was quite an eclectic mix of people. And I think that helped me because until 
until the moment that I heard of Scotland Rugby League. I obviously hadn't heard of it. And um, and I was at a university in England. And so, um, you know, the thought hadn't really crossed my mind. And then I started um, playing with guys who were playing for the other nations. Um, and I can't even remember if there was... Oh, they were. There were a couple of guys who'd played Scotland students who were a couple of years ahead of me. And um, and that's what sort of opened my opened my eyes and ears to it and made me sort of want to want to search it out. Well, there were some, some brilliant lads back then. I mean, you know, when when I got into the team, it it was very it was very clear that you had, you had to be proper in the way you went about things. When I, when I came in, I can't remember the captain of the Scotland team at the time, but he frightened the life out of me. He was such an intense fellow, and that was before I met Billy Gamba. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you know, that's this is another level. Um, and it, it, it taught me a great deal, you know, like characters like Ian Stanger, Neil Henry, brilliant guys, Billy, of course, Nick, Glenn from Edinburgh. I mean, some of these lads... For me, coming from where I grew up in South London and Dover to like make it north and then to be around these guys and, and to really like learn about the heritage, about culture, about where you come from, you know, at that time in my life, it was very instructive and it, it connected me in a way, not just to rugby, but to the world in a, in a bigger sense. So the Student Rugby League was fantastic for me. And it was also like... Um, there was a, a lad that, was, that Graham knows well, Craig McIntyre, Craig Dunlap. I remember um, him and uh, Graham meeting me up at Murray House up there and, you know, getting to know them and having a few drinks and what have you was fantastic. And it was, yeah, it was brilliant, this sort of like cross-cultural piece. But certainly, certainly I was really aware of the responsibility I had uh, coming from the south into the north, for sure. And, and what that meant to the lads from Scotland to be proper in the way that you did things. I think the other thing was, um, for me, I mean, I, I got started in um, 93, just at Murray House College, which is Cramond in Edinburgh, which is everyone referring to there a few times. I was just a poster up on a, on a, on a, uh, a, a, a wall, Edinburgh versus Dundee students. Uh, there was a couple of brothers, the Gowrie brothers, I think it was, who did the Dundee students. Uh, Gaudi, maybe Gaudi. Yeah, the Gaudi, yeah. Um, and I, I ended up just going along on a Sunday. I mean, I played rugby union on a Saturday for Watsonians, and and then I went on a Sunday. And then Nick Martin said to me, I think it was Nick Martin said, oh, we're going down in two weeks' time to another game at um, Newcastle at the, the Gateshead Stadium. And I didn't know, I just said, well, I'll go along. I'd rather do that than study on a Sunday. So um, it ended up being the Scottish students' trial. But the thing was, the guy, the guy who um, was the coach was John Risman. And the next next time I, think I got invited to the Scottish Students uh, Training Camp, which was obviously, you know, that's when you get to Cumbria and Cockermouth where John lived and all that. And I remember the likes of Ian Stanger and Billy Gamba and Nick having a quiz with John about his father, Gus Risman, you know. Um, and then at the first um, uh, Four Nations students, I met Bev Risman. And, you, and, and it's only till you later you realise you know, how rich that family is in terms of their rugby league and rugby union heritage. I mean, Gus yeah. Risman is a hall of fame. Uh, Bev is, 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 has been captain of both Lions. Uh, and John himself was a Welsh international. And, and it, you kind of just sort of stumble into this student rugby league world and just finding your way. And it, 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 you kind of just now, I mean, I, I, I caught up with John Risman on the phone a few weeks ago. I hadn't seen him for a few years, but 
yeah, it's just amazing the way that everyone was so down to earth. You know, uh, that's what I liked about it for sure. And um, to have someone like John Risman, who was a really <laughs> was a great character, um, <laughs> but yeah, such a rich heritage of rugby league to come across so quickly when you enter sport was uh, only really, as I say, only really felt understood that with the benefit of hindsight. I think, with like with a lot of these things, the strengths of the characters involved um, has a really big sway. And obviously, you've just mentioned John and Bev Risman. Well, I, I'd met Bev Risman first because he was integral in the student rugby league, especially in the south of England, around London and things. And so I'd seen him at matches. Um, and then uh, he'd approached me about playing first England students rugby league and I'd said uh, no I'm Scottish is there is there a Scotland rugby league and then obviously later on I met John and then and then later on in my career again Bev was um, instrumental in um, in getting me moved to the Broncos when when I was back in the south of England again so yeah I mean it's just it's like with lots of things in life um, those people were passionate about it and uh, you know and helped us out and did the things the way they did it. And that's, you know, that was a, a big thing at that, at that time. Yeah. I think we owe, we owe a lot to those people because they, they certainly weren't in, in it for any money or glory back then, were they? They were in it for the passion. Yeah. Um, used to yeah, in at Cramond, I can remember for a few years, like Scottish Students Trial would have about 60, 65 people. And it would be a split, nearly 50-50 of exiles and, 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 and residents, as it was sort of called. And I always, you know, I remember, I don't know if John and, and Ali probably did this, but, you know, guys driving up the, the night before from Portsmouth yeah. and Plymouth and London. Um, and, and there was good numbers from Scotland as well in terms of residents. I, but I used to get a bit frustrated with some of my mates at Watsonian, so, you know, just the other side of Edinburgh. who I said, come, you know, come down, come and trial. It's great. You know, you know, whatever you put in, you'll get out of it. You know, I've been to X, Y and Z and, oh, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, it's, you know, I'll be a bit hungover and, you know, and, oh. I just like I just always admired those. Admired everybody who got involved because yeah, it, it, it was it was a tough gig. I can remember you know playing rugby union on a Saturday and then sharing a car. Uh, might have been with yourself, Strewn. I can remember big James Howe. Remember James oh, Howe, the big yeah. guy. Uh, you know sharing a car with the likes of him and Glenn Howitt. I think someone mentioned Glenn. And get down to Cockermouth on a Saturday night, uh, <laughs> a few drinks, and either John's or at Keith Davis. You remember Keith Davis? Yeah, and then uh, you know you you trained on a Sunday morning, and then you played some local amateur team. <laughs> You're fairly sobered up by that point, you know. But yeah, then you just drove home. It's just it's just what you did, isn't it? You know, and, and all was, yeah, yeah, all before mobile phones. <laughs> I remember before the World Cup, we had a training session down in Huddersfield. Because George Graham was the coach at Huddersfield at the time and, and our coach for the World Cup. So we had left Edinburgh, so a three-hour drive, had an, sort of an hour-long training session, and then three hours home again. It was it was a hard shift. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, there was... I remember training once also back in Kelso for the World Cup as well, because by that time, yeah. Alan Tate got involved in 1995 as well. I think the thing that was unique about going back to that first international, uh, uh, the, the Scotland Island before the Wigan Leeds match, was it's the first time we had professionals and, and students and amateurs mixing because we had right, Martin right. Kettridge from Halifax. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Martin Kettridge, that's right. And then Dan Shaw from London Broncos, an Aussie prop. Uh, I think he played in that game as well. And I think there was 
Uh, I think there was one other um, pro as well, at least. So that was the first time, you probably mean, one the first international, because we had those in our ranks. Did you mention Daryl Shelford? Daryl Shelford, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if he, I knew he played in the World Cup. I wasn't sure if he played in, in that game. But yeah, he could have well done. Yeah. And these guys Very paid me as well. You know, that was it. I, I, I can't remember what the deal was, whatever, but they all paid the same amount. So we all started from the same point, really. Now, it's interesting about Daryl. Andy Knight and I had dinner with Daryl the night before the game. And I think I wrote this in my little preamble, but he said to Andy and I before the game how, how a jealous he was that we were at college. And I was looking at him thinking... This is Daryl Shelford talking. Like, what's he jealous of? <laughs> and seriously, he was a, such a top guy. And and he said he said to us, whatever you do, make sure you get your education. Make sure you get your qualifications. And of course, the day after when I got the injury, I you know I didn't I didn't think too much about that conversation. But once I'd graduated and got into the world, um, a few years later, that conversation came back. And I think I would attribute Daryl Shelford's words that night to actually get me on the path academically to where I am now, because it was such a such an important moment because of who it came from and the circumstances of the injury. And for those that don't know, you're a professor in Chicago now. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm probably the more down to earth, as as some of my colleagues call me, uh, colloquial. But believe it or not, I, I focused for quite a few years after that on sports psychology, performance psychology. Yeah. And it's sort of gone full circle now. I've actually been working with athletes like different levels um, concerning severe sports injury, but mostly right. um, emotional trauma. So there's a, there, there are some happier times after injury. Um, but yeah, go, going back to that, that conversation with Daryl, yeah, I thought that that little group that we had, like Graham was talking about, there were so many, yeah, like it's come out so often, that the characters involved. And I thought, I, I felt we were very respected and there was a good level of camaraderie between everybody. I remember there was a training session and I can't remember, there was Billy McGinty was at the session. He was a big player at Wigan, you know, and I remember, I can't remember who it was, but me and this other lad, hit Billy pretty hard in the tackle and we turned him over and he just looked, he just looked up and said, all right, that's your only one lads. After that, it's my turn. And uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think we ended up backing off a little bit. On the, on the Scotland Island game, I can't remember much about the game. If I'd be honest. What, I what can was remember the, the fact that it was, it, it, we lost by one try and I, I, I was about 16, 12 or something like that. Something about four points, but I thought I'd actually scored a try right at the end where I sort of went over under the post and I got hit really hard from somebody I didn't even see coming from the side. Um, at this stage, I was over the line. The ball jumped out of my hands, went backwards, hit the post, and I caught it and touched it down. Uh, but unfortunately, I didn't have VAR back then, so uh, it, it wasn't given, but I was pretty sure it was a good try. The thing that bothered me about the game beforehand was that there was really heavy rain and the... the the field being patched with sand. Well, I think I think in early August they used the Dublin showground showground for horse shows. So it was 
it was really pocked and um, pitted and they'd obviously made a good effort at trying to, to patch it up, but it had, like you say, lots of bits of turf and sand in it. Um, and I, I can't remember, but did, didn't did we, did we play the curtain raiser or the curtain closer? Did we play before the, um, the charity shield or we, did we play after? Yes. Yes, I, I, I believe the Irish Horse of the Year show was the day before, which is why it was covered in sawdust. Yeah, and yeah. there was actually horse manure at the side yeah. of the pitch. Which they managed to clear it off the pitch, but there's quite a lot dumped at the side of the pitch. Yeah, well, as as a winger, I remember that quite markedly because it was like <laughs> it was like being back in Cumbria and running up and down hill and um, <laughs> dodging the deepest puddles and things like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was one of the reasons why. That was one of the reasons why we had such bad accommodation because it was planned quite late, and Manchester United were playing in town against like Shamrock Rovers or Shelburne Rovers rather on the Friday night. They had the Horse of the Year show on the Saturday, then the Rugby League Charity Shield after our game and our game on the Sunday, which is why there was no space at the end when they tried to get a hotel, or at least that's what they told us. Yeah. We also we also had to walk, didn't we? It was quite a walk from the changing rooms to yeah. to the to the pitch because I don't think the Dublin showground was set up for rugby, oh, yeah. rugby uh, clubs, teams. And then there was only one set of change rooms or whatever for, for Reacher, Wigan and Leeds. So I think we walked about four or five minutes from somewhere else, as far as I remember. Yeah, with the piper in front of us. I have to say, I, I, I got given a Man of the Match award at the ceremony afterwards, um, and which was very kind of them. And, and, and it was a guy called... The president at the time was called Brian Corrigan of Ireland Rugby League. Sadly, he died about three or four years ago. But he, he, I went up and he said, for your Man of the Match award, he handed me a business card of someone from Stena Sealink. And on the written on the back of it by um, Brian was a £100 voucher. In just in, in biro writing. And he said, that's your voucher. Just present it when you go back to the ferry and you'll get £100 off. <laughs> You and never just, mentioned that, so you're the person who's driving you through five countries. <laughs> I think I think we'd already paid for our tickets. I wasn't sure when I was coming back to Ireland, and I wasn't altogether convinced by the fact. So I gave it away to somebody else. I don't know who it was, and just said, here, try. Here, this is a voucher for you. Have it for free. Off you go. <laughs> and, I mean, sort of selling the, the glamour of the early game, but I mean, how how many of you would have been involved in the Emerging Nations World Cup? Well, the World Cup followed a few months later, didn't it? Because in 95, as we're talking about, you know, that was what we played in August. And then in October, November, we played in the, someone's played in the Emerging Nations World Cup, um, which was, that was just a fantastic event because that was an even greater extension of this whole, um, you know, uh, amateur students and professionals. So, it, the, the good thing about the Imagination World Cup, you're only allowed so many professionals. So we had, again, Daryl Shelford. Um, I think we had, uh, I can't remember if Martin Kettridge might be involved. I think he was again. Yeah. Uh, we had Charlie McAllister. Um, yeah. um Very, very good Kiwi winger himself. His son has gone on to be a good uh, all-black, Luke McAllister. I think he's retired now even. Uh, but the big one was obviously Alan Tate. Um was playing, and obviously he was obviously very well known in rugby union. Played for the for for Scotland prior to going down to sign for Witness and Leeds. Another one was George Fairbairn. You know, George was the coach, and George. Um, I didn't know much about George Fairbairn. But he was Kelso as well, and 
I later learned again, he, he and when he went from Wigan to Hull KR, he was a world record transfer fee in rugby league. Mm. Uh, and I, I got to know George a lot afterwards, and I, I still keep in touch with him. Um, yeah, really, really down to earth guy. But yeah, that was a fantastic, um, fantastic in, uh, time. That Emerging Nations World Cup. In terms of um, facilities and th- uh, things like that, it was like a league apart. So we'd we'd gone from driving ourselves, sleeping on floors of pubs, um, you know, etc., um, to being driven around in a coach as a team, staying in proper hotels, um, having facilities, conference rooms to, you know, as well as training pitches and training facilities. So it it was a sort of a landmark shift in from what we'd been used to, as we've just been describing, even as a sort of fairly mature Scotland side who'd been playing Ireland in Dublin, which sounds on the face of it great, but really behind the scenes we were we were uh, driving ourselves sleeping on floors still etc um whereas like um graham said a couple of months later emerging nations world cup and it was it was completely different and to be honest it had it then had um a a professional feel to it um and and of course we would of course the stadiums we were playing in with you mentioned um uh, Alan Tate. Well, we we played in Leeds, didn't we? We were based in Leeds, and so one of the games was at Featherstone, and obviously they're another Leeds team. Um, new new Tatey and knew he played for the bigger Leeds team, and so they were all pretty. Um... Ali, I'd be careful there about calling Featherstone Leeds. <laughs> well, okay, sorry. Yeah, I would. I would. I wouldn't oh. let that podcast go out and go back to Featherstone in the next six months. All right. Well, <laughs> in terms of world geography of rugby league it's, <laughs> it's down the road I'm with, I'm with you Ali I'm with you and and anyway they you know they were obviously they were having to go through the uh, program to pull out my name and niggle me from the the stands but they knew Tatey fine and well so that was coming from all four corners of the stands all of um all of his abuse but um <laughs> But but still, the stadiums and the, the the facilities and things like that it was a world apart, and it was a it was a fantastic um, you know a fantastic tournament. And obviously, the team the other teams involved in it were more professional and you know good as well. It was it was a really really good event. It's a really well, it's nice funny. Yeah, it was it was funny because Moldova were involved, um, and um, I I'm just doing some interim management for rugby league European Federation. I had a meeting last week with somebody who wants to get rugby league back going again in Moldova. And the last time I know they were involved was way back in in, in that 1995 Emerging Nations yeah. World Cup. Yeah. So, because um, I think we played, did we not play in the USA in Northampton as well? Yeah, yes. we did. Yeah, and the football ground. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then we played at Castleford against. We lost to the Cook Islands, didn't we? In the semi final, as it was. Yes, and I remember we played at Huddersfield at some point, didn't we? Or was that a different? Yeah, I think we trained at Huddersfield. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. okay, yeah, that's what I'm remembering. Then I also remember for that first game, um, we got kilts hired, which was obviously part of Scottish students and long yeah. tradition. And that was and the difference is Ali was saying is this time you didn't you know find yourself a kilt or go and you know borrow a mate. She actually we got hired once and given. And we all came down for the first game um, and to get on the bus. And it was Billy Gamba 
um, who was a fantastic character. He's a dentist from Aberdeen. And uh, George Fairburn did the team speech and all that. And Billy then stood up and said, hold on, just before we go, I had this box, this just simple cardboard box. And he said, right, everybody here has to be a proper Scotsman. And uh, yeah. late October, November, and of course, all the student boys knew about this because they'd been through this, right? And then, so Charlie McAllister, big Kiwi, you know, um, he, he goes, what? What am I? I've got to what? I've got to take my, take my boxer shorts off and put them in that cardboard box and be <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And then the big revelation was Alan Tate had got his boxer shorts still on. He'd been spending far too much time in the north of England mm-hmm. and forgotten his roots. And uh, yeah, that was that was the big reveal. But but there was no one better than Billy Gamba to demand that he take off your boxer shorts and, and put them in my uh, cardboard box and you'll never see them again, probably. I think Charlie McAllister's boxer shorts would have filled the box, though, would they not? <laughs> he was a big I, man. I, I, I roomed with Charlie McAllister, which was slightly confusing at an administrative point because obviously I'm Alistair and he's Charlie McAllister so but anyway yeah he um he he had to have a bit of a lesson in the kilt but I tell you what his kilt was massive when it was laid out on the bed it went you know it went it went all the way around it twice (laughs) (laughs) what the other good story that we're talking about beforehand was um obviously this mixture of bringing pros and amateurs and students together um, people only really met each other in camp sometimes for the first time. So you, we all got put into rooms, like Ali was saying, twinned up. And uh, the, the story is that it's, um, it's going to be true because he was such a character. Um, Alan Tate walked in and uh, said, oh, hello there. Uh, my name's Alan Tate, Great Britain and, and Leeds. And Stu McCarthy, who was from Essex, wasn't he? From, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just a great, great character. Camby um, Island. Teetotal, but always the life and soul of the party turned around and said, Stu McCarthy, can be Ireland second team. (laughs) (laughs) That that is definitely true, yeah. Yeah, no, it would be with Stu. Yeah, Yeah. he was such a good character. Well, I think, like I said, for me, it kind of, um, because of the tournaments we were then playing in, and the the fact, by the fact that we had professionals in, it, it was kind of seen as more professional and so yeah the the level of facilities etc went up but also those of us that have been playing for a while as student or amateurs etc um there was a, a really high level of passion uh, within the um within the, the group and those guys coming in obviously we saw them as as professionals and they had you know proven credentials etc but um they also needed to have a, a reasonable level of passion as well, and and they did. And so, I think we looked up to them um, in terms of their proven abilities and their skills and what they'd done in the professional game. Um, and I think, like I said, I roomed with Charlie McAllister. You know, he's he was a passionate guy. He was, um, you know, I think reflected the other pros that came into the the game from whatever angle they came from. They knew they were joining a sort of um, a, a passionate outfit, and uh, there were obviously lots of clips of Braveheart, and the, the, we've mentioned the Piper already. There's, you know, and there's nothing better for stirring the the emotions and whatnot before a game. But we use that emotion quite a lot, even through training and things as well. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to remember as well. Quite, quite a few of us came from 
obviously rugby union backgrounds are pretty much most of us did but uh whilst i started off as a student playing the world cup in 1989 and before that uh obviously my club and i think graham's club at the time um you're playing with maybe sort of 10 scottish rugby internationals uh, as a rugby union so uh, mixing with that sort of crowd of people wasn't particularly unusual it was nice obviously to have professionals in a, in a sport you hadn't played quite so much but i mean um certainly i was playing with the likes of david soul and a play with other seven or eight internationals every week and uh, graham would have been playing with the hastings brothers and people like that i feel that like when we had that first game in dublin for me it was the excitement and uh, knowing that we were going in a good direction that all the hard work that so many people have put in behind the scenes, that all the lads have put in, traveling to all over the place, you know, just trying to back up your effort. But when when we mixed in, for me, it was a, just a moment where I was like, okay, we're, as a as a as a team, as a sport, we're going in the right direction. And I think it was a really exciting period to be part of Scotland Rugby League, and and certainly, you know, going into the Emerging Nations. Cup, for me, looking on, it was one of like, I was green with envy and jealous because the, the lads like Ali, Graham and so on, yourself, so on, they had the opportunity, you know, to, to realise um, some of the fruits of everybody's labour. And it was, it, I think it was a brilliant time to, you know, for the sport to be built like that. It was really good. And I think Ali's spot on with like the passion and the enthusiasm that all the lads had and the, the people behind the scenes brought to it. It was really good, really good moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was about getting the right professionals um, and having the right leadership again, you know, having the right characters and Daryl Shelford was the epitome for that, he was just a really good good bloke um, Charlie McAllister obviously fitted in and then you know, Titi brought the sort of icing on the cake and I think he was just dead proud to be back playing for Scotland because at that point there'd been no outlet for him, you know, he'd been playing Great Britain Um he didn't play for England at any point. England wasn't playing so much. But something like George Fairbairn, when England played in the 70s, George George Fairbairn, you know, uh, proud Scott, he, he played for England because that was the only outlet at the time to play international mm-hmm. rugby league. So, well, I, I, I remember when Tatey first came in, he was chuffed to bits because he'd, he'd been getting correspondence about them breaking down the Great Britain sides and being able to put out home nations. And he was being included in the England outfit. And they were even talking about captaincy and things like that because he'd been, um, I think, trying to tempt him to stay or, you know. Anyway, he was pleased as punch when he knew he had something in the pipeline and he could turn around and say, no, I'm playing for Scotland. You know, he was, like I said, I remember him telling me and he was he was really chuffed. And... I don't know if it's something that was a nickname that was used, you know, in his club rugby, etc. But he did. He was. We called him Pigeon, and he used to walk around with his chest puffed out all the time because he was honestly, he was a proud man, and he was pleased and proud to be there. And it, it rubbed off. It was, you know, it was really good. Ali, I don't doubt he was definitely he was proud. I agree with you totally. And I remember there's a picture of him with uh, uh, the the t-shirts got made up. I think Vic Semple, you remember Vic? Yeah, uh, yeah. T-shirts made up. But I do I, I do wonder that somewhere in his Leeds contract there was a, a bonus payment if he played international rugby league. So for Tatey to earn some more money that year, that would have been another really pleasing aspect. Uh, <laughs> 
he was, he was quite keen on the financial side of things, I remember. I arranged a sponsorship. I arranged a sponsorship. Three Scottish power, they gave us £15,000 and he wanted a, a sort of accounting of every penny of it, which I wasn't able to give him. I just handed over the cash. Yeah, but that, I think if he hadn't been asking those questions, there'd have been a whole queue of Scotsmen behind him ready to ask those questions. <laughs> we, we know that we ended up on that one. I don't remember if you guys, but ended up uh, George Fairbairn came up and Daryl Shelford. It was, and we ended up going to a press conference at Hamden Park. Yes, um, it was just incredible. And the guy, the guy who actually sort of brokered some of that was Bob Jameson. I don't know if you remember Bob was quite a. Yes. Character, um, and he actually after the after the World Cup, he he did for a brief time own Workington Town, um, and uh, yeah, he was he 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 was a sort of a sort of liaison officer, I think, with Scottish Power knew them, and it was something else. And I think I've, I've still got the top. But it was a fair bit of um, coverage to get Scottish Power on the front of our shirts. I mean, it was it was obviously good for them business, but it's probably even better for us in terms of uh, brand recognition and profile. It came from, I did a radio interview and saying we're looking for sponsorship. Then Bob contacted me after that through the radio and put me in touch with Scottish Power and they were also helped helped us out because otherwise we would have been the only team there without any kits, I suspect. Yeah, no, it was really, really helpful, that. And we're talking there about sort of, you know, it being the, a good time to be involved and exciting and seeing things sort of going in the right direction, but how do you guys feel looking at where the team is now and I guess the legacy of those early years? It's it's brilliant. It makes me really proud. And um, the fact that we're, you know, doing so well and competing at such a level now, um, I, I don't know what the current player base is, but obviously I know what it was in my day and it was tiny. Um, but, you know, to be competing both Northern and Southern Hemisphere um, makes me really proud. And it's just a testament to obviously the people playing at the current time, but also to all the, you know, that, that hard work continuing and that passion continuing and, um, and elevating us to the, to this, the point where we can almost beat New Zealand. That was such a game, wasn't it? That's an amazing game. Yeah. It was so exciting. Uh, uh, but yeah, really, really, really proud of of them. Yeah, I think where I'm at in Chicago, I, I look to Scotland Rugby League as a, a model for us. You know, things are tricky in the states developing league, but because of the experience of how we came through, but also looking at how Ireland and Wales have developed, I'm always sort of punching the, the Scotland Rugby League ticket in any conversation about what it takes to get things off the ground, how to connect, you know, the kinds of characters you need. I think that the enthusiasm that we talked about can't be underestimated. You've got to have that no matter what. So I'm hopeful for next year, you know, with the team qualifying, that, that we get some good results and we'll be able to continue to feel proud about the legacy that we helped start. Uh, yeah, I think I, I was I was pretty lucky a few years later because I, I, I became the first ever rugby league development also for Scotland. Uh, so some of the, the the foundations that, you know, Ali was talking about there and John, you know, I was lucky enough to get a chance to try and build on them. Um, and that was great fun um, for, for, for two and a half years. The other thing that I think is a really good legacy, um, for me, one of the most influential people has been Steve McCormack, who took on the international head coach role of Scotland in 2004. And 
just yeah. finished up in 2017. I mean, he, he guided them to three World Cups, yeah. you know, took them to the, 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 the quarterfinals when they played New Zealand at Henley in 2013. And then, as Ali was talking about, you know, came so close to beating New Zealand. So I just think what he, he um, you know, I did a, did a podcast with him a, a couple of weeks ago and, and, and he just got more out of the team than the some of their individual abilities because of the environment he uh, created. It just goes back to that same point that Ali made, you know, I think it was about, you know, it's about the leadership. And Steve was just a, a fantastic leader um, in terms of the national team. And it's it's just great to see, like, the national team. And then there's the, there has been the amateur team. There's, these, uh, there's the 16s, there's the 19s. The students still continue. That's probably the longest running rep team that Scotland has. You know, their students, and it goes all the way back to 1989 in the World Cup then. So, yeah. you know, that's... that's um, that's over 30 years of, of history now. And, and it's just, the longer it goes on, um, uh, the more, you know, people, there's a, there's, a, there's a morass of people out there who have been involved in rugby league at some level, at some point in their lives. Now, if I, if I could share a story that's a little off topic, but connected with Ali and to about characters for a second. That, Ali, I don't know if you remember, but you and I, we had a training ground fight. <laughs> and no. <laughs> So we had, we had a scuffle. I threw my handbag at you, and oh, you yeah. threw a heavy one back at me. And um, in danger, we both stormed off like we'd lost our toys. In danger, brought us together. He's like, "Right, you shake his hand. I'll sh- I'll shake your hand," sort of thing, you know. And um, we shook hands and we, and we got ourselves together. But I think that you know, being here today with everyone, it reminds me going back to like people. It's all about people. Stanger was a leader, you know, being able to be around people like that and like yourself, that's what, I think that's the legacy also. That's something when I'm working with athletes or students or patients these days, believe it or not, I go back often to the people that I met through Scotland Rugby League at that time particularly. And when, when I think about characters, I've got like a library of good people to draw on when I'm talking with these folks. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I think I, I could probably sit and listen to these stories and you reminisce for another few hours, but I think we'll have to call it a day there. But um, I just want to say thank you so much for everyone taking the time out to sort of mark, mark the 25th anniversary of Scotland's first match. Well, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks very much. It's been great to connect. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Alan Nash, host of the Get After It podcast and the Edinburgh Rugby podcast, Inside the Castle, as we'll be chatting about some of our favourite cross-code rugby league and rugby union players. But in the meantime, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.